This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are all here with me today. If you're joining me on the Facebook Live, uh, you notice it looks a little bit different. I'm on my phone today, not on the computer. I'm also without any interns today, so I am engineering my own show uh, so it's, uh, we're going to have a bit of fun today. So if you see me looking in different directions, doing different things, I have to pay attention to the computer, to the recordings, to my guest. So uh, today's going to be a very interesting uh, way to start off the new year. Um, okay, so let's get started. I want to get to my guest because he's a really uh, interesting uh, fellow. And uh, we've got our quotes of the day. We've got to start off with our quotes of the day. So... Let's go with the quote from the universe. I'm so excited. I am so excited. This year, I know, I just know, I'm going to get a new million-person army of followers who are inspired. Wow, you too? A coincidence? Not. How do you think I'm going to get mine? Rooting for you and pulling out all the stops. The universe. Ah, we love our quotes from Mike Dooley in the universe. Yes, and the universe um, reminding us that this year is going to be an amazing year. And uh, I'm all for that million-person army of followers. Um, but the universe, you know, kind of chiding us on, saying, you know, how, how do you think I'm going to get mine? Uh, the universe gets theirs through us. So I think it's just a little bit of a reminder that, you know, this unfoldment of life uh, is really a way for the universe to reflect back to itself. So, uh, you know, the universe is, is rooting for us as the universe roots for itself. What a great way to start off the year, knowing the universe is rooting for you, isn't it? Awesome. All right, cool. Let's uh, see what Abraham has in store for us today. As you are born into these physical bodies, you experience the vibrational continuum of the generations that have come before you, their desires as they have lived as individuals, and their collective mass consciousness desire has emanated to the boundaryless boundaries of the universe, and law of attraction is answering all those requests. So each generation who follows the previous generation benefits by the desires that have been exuded by mass consciousness. Hmm, quite an interesting uh, quote here from Abraham. 
one talking really about our, our ancestors and about the vibrational, maybe I'll say our energetic impact of the ancestry that has come before us. And basically, uh, what Abraham is talking about here is that, you know, while we are here, you know, today, and we are very much focused on just this moment or the future, that there is a lot that has come before us. There are many, many people who have come before us, generation upon generation upon generation. And I'm just curious if anyone out there can tell me, how old is your DNA? How many generations back does your DNA go? Our DNA is older than we can imagine. And all those hopes, desires, dreams, uh, all of those impulses that our ancestors had before us, not only do they emanate out energetically through time and space from the past into the present to the future, but they emanate out through our DNA. You know, I, I used to not believe in all this ancestral stuff. I used to not believe, well, me? Come on, you know, this is modern day. What are you talking about, ancestors? They're gone. They're dead. How can they be affecting me today? But with the work that I've been doing over the last decade or more, with my further and further and deeper understanding of um, physics, biology, chemistry, matter, energy, and just how interconnected we all are, I truly, truly believe now, I, I really have gotten the the message that we are here as a result of all that have come before us and we have sort of an honor of being here to heal the DNA of the past to fulfill the dreams of our ancestors and to really be the next evolutionary step for our lineage. And that if you don't think that your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great-great-great-great-grandparents are not alive within you, then I would recommend maybe you do a little research. Try and find out a little bit more about your ancestry, your great-grandparents, and see if there is not some common energetic thread that is running through your entire lineage. Now, I myself, you know, my mom is still alive. I was recently in Israel um, asking her some questions about her parents and stuff. But, you know, her parents came over from Russia in the early 1900s, 190, I don't know, one, two, three, something like that. We know a little bit about their families. We know, you know, something about, you know, my mom's grandparents and like, that's it. We really don't have a lot of information about our ancestry. We have some rumors, some stories, but I really don't know. But just seeing how my life has unfolded, seeing how my family is, seeing how 
things have gone on, I, I feel that the more I get to know myself, the more I get to know my family, that hidden in there, amongst all those little things, all the emotions, all the little drama plays, all the little joys, all the dreams and hopes and desires and aspirations that my ancestors are in there somewhere. So, two wonderful quotes from the universe and from Abraham. I hope you've enjoyed them. I love them, and uh, I hope you did too. All right, so before I introduce my guest, oh my God, I got the, the Facebook feed is blowing up. Ah, my friend Marina, Brigitte, uh, Frank, Alexander, Pat. Oh, good to see you from across the pond, Pat. Victorious. Ah, oh, awesome, Victorious. Patty, uh, Louise, um, uh, Sanaya. Oh, wonderful to see you all. Um, and thank you, Victorious. Indeed, uh, Victorious says, indeed, I agree. The DNA comes straight from the, quote, the beginning. Uh, the energy is never destroyed. Yes, I agree. And thank you, Patty. Glad you could join us. Luis, hi, Luis. So glad you could join us. And I am especially glad that my guest can join us. And my guest is Mark Gober, who is an author, a partner at Sherpa Technology Group. Oh, I like that name. Um, and a former investment banker with UBS here in New York. Oh, Mark, I didn't know you came from New York. And, and, a, yeah. and a former captain of the Princeton tennis team. Oh, you're a print tennis player, eh? Um, his worldview was turned upside down in late 2016 when he was exposed to world-changing science that suggested that, contrary to mainstream assumptions, consciousness is not produced by the brain. After researching extensively, he wrote... I'm going to hold it up here for you. An end to upside down thinking, which on the Facebook live feed looks backwards. Uh, <laughs> to introduce the general public to these cutting edge ideas, all in an effort to encourage a much needed global shift in scientific and existential thinking. Mark's best-selling book has been endorsed by leading thinkers such as former Harvard neurosurgeon Dr. Eben Alexander, Nobel Peace Prize nominee Dr. Irvin Laszlo, and actress Goldie Hawn, among many, many others, and there's tons of testimonials here in his book. And it is my pleasure to welcome Mark to the show today. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing great, Sam. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. Glad we, we worked this out. So, um, uh, I mean, you have such a kind of like an interesting background, investment banker, uh, technology, um, did you always kind of have this interest in in science and in in really like understanding uh, the fundamentals of the universe and how things are put together or did something happen along the way that kind of woke you up or got you to say like wow the i need to look into this a little bit more well i think both are true i've always had big questions about life and meaning and existence and uh, even back in my undergraduate days at Princeton, I, I debated whether or not I should major in astrophysics because I had such big questions about the universe. But because of my commitments on the tennis team, I didn't have time to pursue that. But ah. in spite of that, in the background, in my mind, I was always thinking, who am I? What am I doing here? Does life have meaning? And where I came out on it uh, prior to getting into my research, which began in August of 2016, prior to that, I had concluded that life had no meaning at all. Uh, because we're conscious, 
solely due to chemicals that are in our brain. And uh-huh. once our brain and our body die, then our consciousness must die. So I thought there was no meaning to life. However I looked at it, I would always come back to that. Mm, interesting, interesting. Well, you know, my first year in college, I was actually a physics major myself. Even though I was in an engineering school, but um, uh, uh, engineering didn't quite interest me. I was more interested in the, you know, how do things really work? You know, how is the universe really put together? And it, it's interesting, right? When you start asking these deeper questions, you kind of find answers that you weren't necessarily expecting. Like, you know, and, and again, I, I, I came from a family where, I mean, my father was uh, kind of a religious Orthodox Jew. My mom was very secular, very materialistic, didn't believe in anything that, you know, again, you live, you die and that's it. So I didn't really have sort of that background in like, you know, is there a real spirit? You know, do we have a spirit? Do we live afterwards and stuff? But but life has a tendency if we have our eyes open and we pay attention to it, like, hmm, here's this little inkling. Here's this little thread that if we follow tends to take us in that direction, doesn't it? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what happened to me. But when I initially became interested in these topics around consciousness in particular, like I, I mentioned, it was in August of 2016, right. I first heard about the topics through podcasts and, ah. and unintentionally. I was listening at first to a health podcast, and a woman mm-hmm. came on who described psychic abilities and her ability to work with energy. And it was the first I had heard of these topics. But to make a long story story short, I ended up following that and listening to more podcasts and then researching. And I ended up spending a full year where I didn't do much outside of my professional job other than researching just because I was interested. Uh, was your sort of initial thing... Or your initial reaction to hearing this kind of stuff, were you like skeptical? Were you like, uh, nah, that's nonsense? Or, or were you, was your initial reaction kind of curious? Like, huh, what are they talking about? Maybe there is something here. I mean, your very, very first visceral reaction I'm talking about. My first reaction was just open and curious. Oh, okay. Cool. Because I'd never heard people really discuss these things in a serious way. And it, mm-hmm. my initial uh, exposure was, from people who had had experiences themselves and claimed that they had these abilities. So it was more evaluating their, their personal credibility. Like, are these people just lying? Are they delusional in some way? Or is something going on? Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, cool, cool. All right, you know what? Let's leave it there. I want to take a quick break. And then when we come back, let's talk about what led you to even just think about writing a book on this topic and then how that evolved, Okay. Okay. Wonderful. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, and we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc.
Who do you want to connect with? Are you an entrepreneur or intrapreneur looking to build your following? Welcome to our show. Follow Me Friday with Joan and Priya. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern on talkradio.nyc. We're We're your digital connectors. connectors. Woo woo! (laughs) (laughs) Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are all here with us today. Um, and uh, oops, sorry, I have to just keep an eye on things. Um, and thank you all on the Facebook Live for all the shout outs. And, and Sanaya, it's good to see you. I'm, I'm glad you guys are sticking with us today. We really got such an interesting fellow on the line with us. Um, so, Mark, so. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, a little over two years ago, you listened to some podcasts. You got interested in this idea of of understanding energy and consciousness. How long did it take? I mean, you you said like for about a year. This is like all you did was research the stuff, listen to things. Um, how long before you kind of got the inkling of like, you know, maybe I should, you know, put all I'm learning together in a book or something. It was not my initial intention. I, I, I was just learning out of personal curiosity because I wanted to understand reality and I was being exposed to all kinds of evidence that I had never heard about. So I, I got to the point where I couldn't reconcile my old traditional worldview with this new evidence. And I was just trying to figure out, well, what does it mean to be a human being if all these things are real? So the, the, the idea to write a book actually came about in the summer of 2017, after I had done about a year's worth of research. And I was personally very passionate about the ideas, but also was starting to get very positive feedback from friends who were also very traditional thinkers. And as I exposed them to the research that I was coming across, people said that it had a big impact on how they were looking at their own lives. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was positive to hear that because I knew the information was affecting me in a positive way. And the fact that I could have a dinner with someone and, and they would say to me a few weeks later, wow, I'm still thinking about some of that data that you talked about during dinner. Uh, it seemed to be having a positive effect. So, so, so what kind of research were you doing? Like, I, I mean, you said listening to podcasts before, I'm sure reading books. What else did you do? It was a lot of podcasts and books. And okay. as I got deeper into the research um, in the later periods, I started actually speaking to certain scientists who were running studies. So um, ah, people look. like Dr. Dean Radin at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, so people that are, ah. are looking at consciousness in these ways that many scientists are not. And, and uh, you being, you know, you, you weren't an author yet, you were kind of like a, a, a not really anybody well-known. Were, were these scientists like uh, open to, to you kind of, you know, uh, calling them, uh, annoying them, like saying, hey, what's going on with all this consciousness research? Or were they fairly open to it, even though they didn't know you? Well, in, initially, I didn't reach out to quite, quite so many because I okay. 
uh, for a lot of the reasons you said. So it was kind of just myself getting up to speed. I, I got in touch with more and more people in this realm after I had already signed with a literary agent and had ah. a publisher. Oh, at okay. that point, because because of my literary agent's connections and the fact that I actually had a book on these topics, which I think was and, and promotes the ideas of many of these scientists, it became much easier. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Was there, early on when you were doing your research into consciousness, was there an aha moment or like a big kind of revelation or a big sort of shift in your own thinking that came about from like something that you learned or something that you experienced? There was a big shift, but I wouldn't describe it as an overnight shift. In the same way that someone, for example, who has a near-death experience, they might come back from that experience and their life has changed in an instant. Absolutely. For me, it was more gradual, where I would be exposed Mm -hmm. to certain information and it would really resonate and be very interesting. And Mm -hmm. then I would kind of go back to my day job and my old traditional worldview. (laughs) And it was kind of this two steps forward, one steps back, uh, over and over again. Mm -hmm. Finally, where it got to the point where it was just like so much information, so much data that was suggesting this new view of consciousness, that Mm -hmm. uh, the idea that consciousness isn't localized to the brain, that, Mm. that when our body dies, consciousness doesn't die, things like that, which really questioned uh, my own sense of identity. It really did have a big impact on how I view life. Mm, Gotcha. Gotcha. And, 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 and the, the title of your book is an, an end to upside down thinking. What do you mean by upside down thinking? What I mean by upside-down thinking is my old worldview, and I think the worldview that is promoted implicitly or explicitly by much of science today, known as materialism. Mm -hmm. And materialism basically means that the universe at the fundamental level is made of physical material that we call matter. So the universe started 13.8 billion years ago with the Big Bang that filled the universe with matter. And in this big universe with lots of atoms of matter, we have those atoms interacting with one another, and we call that chemistry. Mm-hmm. So we started with the material universe, we got chemistry, and then with enough random chemical reactions in this big universe, chance tells us we're bound to end up with a molecule that can replicate itself, like mm-hmm. DNA. Mm-hmm. So now we have biology, and biology is like a human being, which evolves to develop a brain, and from the brain comes out our consciousness, our mm-hmm. subjective inner experience of being alive. So this is the materialist worldview, that we started with matter and consciousness emerged later through a brain. That is what I'm challenging and what I'm calling upside-down thinking. Okay, and so if if that's the traditional kind of view of how things evolved, what's your view now after coming out with this book and doing all this research? My view now is that consciousness is primary or fundamental. Uh, so rather than coming at the very end of the chain that I just described in the materialist worldview, consciousness instead comes first. So uh, consciousness is primary, existing beyond all space and time. And that's kind of the thesis that all the evidence in my book is pointing towards. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So it, let me ask you, why do you, in, in your research, did you really kind of come across like why have we assumed and and uh, you know i'm sure it, it's a relatively recent assumption that consciousness that the materialistic view that the consciousness comes from the brain because uh, first of all i'm sure not all cultures kind of believe that and secondly i'm sure that that belief probably is you know less than 500 years old 
Yeah, I've, I've asked myself this so many times, and it's a belief that I held, the idea right. that consciousness comes from the brain, but I didn't even know that it was the belief I had. It's, it's an <laughs> assumption that I think is so deeply embedded in certain circles that it just kind of goes unchallenged. But right. now that I look back, I think there are, are two main reasons that we are thinking that, or those who believe that believe it. One is I think we are biased by our perceptual systems. So, mm. like our eyes, our ears, our nose, and our right. mouth, they're all located near our brain. Right. So our, it feels like our consciousness is there. Mm. And if we did a, a thought experiment to put all of those sensory organs by our shins, for example, <laughs> what would it feel like? Where would our consciousness seem to be? Right. So I think that's right. important to remember, number one, that we are biased right. by our perceptions. But more scientifically, I think the reason that there is this assumption that the brain creates consciousness, it comes from the fact that there is a very strong correlation between what happens in our brain and the type of conscious experience that we have. Right. Like, you get in a car accident, someone has brain damage, and they might have memory loss. So we right. can see, look, you change the brain state, and now consciousness has shifted. Right. So what is the, what's the issue? Why is that not sufficient to say that the brain causes consciousness? And right. it's, it, in statistics, people say correlation does not imply causation. Mm. And have two things that are related, but it doesn't always mean that one causes the other one. Right. I'll give a quick analogy that I, I really like from Dr. Bernardo Castro, mm -hmm. who says, imagine that you have a fire, lots of firefighters show up. Mm -hmm. You have a bigger fire, more firefighters show up. So here, again, we have very strong correlation between the size of the fire and the number and presence of firefighters. In these instances, however, we don't conclude that the firefighters caused the fire. Right. There's an alternative explanation to explain the correlation. And that is how I now look at the brain. The brain is related to consciousness, but instead of just assuming, oh, it must be created by the brain, right. consciousness must come from the brain, that mm. maybe the brain acts more like a filtering mechanism or mm. like an antenna receiver or a processor of consciousness. Mm. That would also explain the correlation. Right, right. And that, you know, uh, and that while affecting the brain can affect consciousness, that doesn't necessarily mean that the, the, the brain is the generator. It's not the, uh, uh, um, yeah, it's not the generator. It's not the genus of, of, of the experience of consciousness. Exactly, exactly. And, what I was shocked to find out in my research is that science openly acknowledges that there's still a big question about how a brain that is a physical structure, right. like your body, you can touch your body, you can touch your leg, your head, right. but your consciousness or awareness is not physical. So Science Magazine has called this the number two question that remains in all of science, which is how is it that a, how, how can a physical, biological mm -hmm. brain magically create this non-physical consciousness? Right, 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 right. And, and, and consciousness actually isn't even necessarily bound by time, right? Because we can close our eyes and we can think about an event in the past, or we can imagine an event in the future. So our consciousness is not necessarily um, uh, 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 bounded by what is going on in the present moment. That's right. I agree with that. And I, th I think consciousness is not bound by, by space or time. And then that's what a lot of the research in, that I discuss in my book, An End to Upside Down Thinking, is pointing towards, non-local consciousness, both mm. spatially and temporally. 
Okay, cool. We just got a couple of minutes before our next break. I just want to start to touch upon the topic and then we'll continue after the break. What Can you t- talk about some of the evidence that has come about in some of these experiments and with the scientists that you've worked with that kind of show that consciousness is either non-localized or not dependent upon the physical uh, brain? That is actually the majority of the book, is putting together all of the evidence in discrete areas. And there are two main buckets that I look at. Okay. One is psychic abilities, and another bucket is consciousness's survival of bodily death. Okay. And I'll quickly just lay out the, the, the subcategories within each of those. Okay. With psychic abilities, I look at the phenomenon of remote viewing and the evidence mm-hmm. for that, and that's the ability to perceive something at a distance, even though you've never seen it with your eyes. Telepathy, mind-to-mind communication. Precognition, which is knowing or sensing the future before it happens. Animals that seem to have these abilities. And psychokinesis, which is how the mind can affect physical matter. The other broad bucket, surviving bodily death, I examine near-death experiences, communications with the deceased, such as mediumship, and finally, children who have memories of previous lives, and that's research from the University of Virginia. Oh, that's fascinating. Cool. All right. Good. Um, All right. You know what? Let's take a break here, and when we come back, let's start diving into some of this evidence, okay? Sounds great. Awesome. And I just want to remind, uh, welcome Cole, Julie, and all the people on the Facebook Live. If you guys on the Facebook Live have questions, um, simply uh, type them into the comment section of the video. I'm not going to give out the call-in number today because I'm kind of on my own. It'll be a little bit um, too much for me to like answering phone calls while I'm doing this. But if you're on the Facebook Live, um, you can go to facebook.com slash S-A-M-W-Y-Z. You'll find the feed there. Um, feel free to like type in your questions or comments. I'll make sure we get to them during the show. So we're talking with Mark Gober, author of the book, An End to Upside Down Thinking. And we will be right back after these messages. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. like comic books and movies? How about TV and pop culture? Then you've come to the right place. Hi, I'm Michael Dolce, host of Secrets of the Sire. Joined every week by my co-host, Hassan, Lord of the Radio Godwin. Together, we have over 15 years' experience creating graphic novels, screenplays, and more. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern, talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon Eastern to 1 p.m. right here on talkradio.nyc and on Facebook Live. My guest uh, this hour is Mark Gober, author of the book An End to Upside Down Thinking, all about 
consciousness. Ooh, my favorite topic. Um, so, Mark, you talked about, uh, before we went to break, sort of the different areas you investigated that kind of indicate that consciousness is not localized, is not necessarily uh, tied to our physical brain or generated by our physical brain. You talked about sort of uh, uh, psychic abilities as well as um, surviving death. So um, let's go through this uh, a little bit at a time. Psychic abilities. You said remote viewing, telepathy, precognition, and psychokinesis. So let, let's very quickly remote viewing. Um, now, this is something I know the military had looked at in the 60s and 70s. Uh, I know a lot of people who practice it. Um, what is really the, co- the, the, the latest evidence that you found around remote viewing and about its accuracy? Well, for me, what was most compelling about the remote viewing evidence is that it comes from a number of areas and, from, and they're from very credible sources. So I had a hard time kind of shooting down all of them when you put it together. Mm. And I'll, I'll give a few examples. One is the U.S. government program that you mentioned. They, there was a program for over 20 years where psychic spies were being used to view remote areas. Mm. And recently, the CIA has declassified documents that were previously classified. And fortunately, I was able to just go on the CIA's website and look at some of those documents. Oh, wow. And some ver- are very explicit. And one that I include in the book says, remote viewing is a real phenomenon direct quote from an internal document. So wow. when I see things like that, and they, they show the science panel that looked at it, I think that's interesting. And not to mention the fact that the scientists who studied this, for example, Russell Targ, the laser physicist who ran mm-hmm. the program out of Stanford, they all of the scientists have written books about this and how that this, this was a real thing, in addition to the remote viewers themselves. Uh, but people who have looked at this externally are also saying that it's real. So um, Dr. Jessica Utz, who in 2016 was the president of the American Statistics Association, back in 1995, she was asked by Congress and the CIA to evaluate the evidence for these types of phenomena. And she concludes in her report for Congress and the CIA that using the standards applied to any other area of science, the psychic functioning has been well established. Mm. That's a direct quote from her report. Um, so I think it's the combination of these various pieces of evidence that I think it becomes hard to shoot all of them down. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, telepathy? So telepathy, there are a, a number of examples I go through, such as uh, cases of twins who seem to have stronger telepathic connections and, and cases like that. But in terms of the laboratory studies, there's a study known as the Gonsfeld experiment, mm-hmm. which statistically is, is probably the strongest case that can be made because it's been replicated so many times by different experimenters. And when you combine the data, there's a a strong effect. Mm -hmm. And I I like to go through this one because the effect here is subtle, but it's highly statistically significant. So whereas remote viewing, where let's say, you know, former U.S. President Jimmy Carter confirmed that remote viewers were used to find a lost Russian bomber that was in an African jungle. So they use remote viewers to try to find this thing with their minds, and they were able to do it. That, for many people who have not had that experience, is really hard to grasp. Whereas with telepathy, where it's just statistical, we can relate it to, well, I think of someone, and then they text me. And that happens sometimes. And it's like, well, was that chance, or is it some kind of information transfer? Um, That's what this study, the Gonsfeld experiment, suggests. And the basic design 
is as follows. You have one person in a room, we'll call him Bob, and Bob is put into a very relaxed state by the experimenters. So he's listening to relaxing music, mm-hmm. um, and there are lights flashing. You have another person in another room, we'll call her Jane, and Jane is asked by the experimenters to um, look at an image or some kind of visual, sometimes it's a movie clip, um, and she's told to mentally try to send what she's seeing to Bob in the other room. And Bob doesn't know what she's looking at. After a period of time, Bob comes out of his relaxed state, and he is shown four pictures. The experimenters say to Bob, which of the four pictures was Jane trying to mentally send to you in the other room? Now, we would predict, if there were no effect at all, that Bob would guess correctly here one out of four times, because it should be totally random if there mm-hmm. were no effect. Right. However, what the experiments show, again, when you combine the data, the, the the number approaches around 32%, not Uh, 25%. Okay. Which is suggesting that some information is getting through. And again, when you look at the statistics, it's massively significant. Um, Dr. Dean Radin at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, who I mentioned before, um, he's looked at the statistics on this and other areas, and he calls them Six Sigma results, which in statistics means that the odds that these are just chance occurrences are more than a billion to one. Right, 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 right. Okay, let's move on. Um, precog. Uh, for precognition, did you look at the um, Princeton uh, Engineering Anomaly Research data? I looked at, at, the, at Pair Lab, Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab, which mm-hmm. was run by the former dean of engineering, right. Dr. Robert John, for 27 years. Yes. It's, interestingly, I, I was a student at Princeton when that lab was still existing, and I didn't know it existed yeah. because I <laughs> right. think it was so controversial. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah um, exactly. With regard to that lab, I focused more on their work with remote viewing because they ah, replicated the results okay. there in over 600 trials, mm-hmm. and also psychokinesis, which we'll get to. But yes. on the topic of precognition, I think the most compelling statistical results uh, come from a number of researchers who study what's known as presentiment which is where the body seems to respond to a stimulus, like a picture, Mm -hmm. before the picture is even shown. Right. And before anyone knows what kind of picture the computer will be randomly generating. Mm -hmm. So it's a subtle effect where the skin might just spike um, and there's a detector to look at it, or the pupils will dilate, or the brain or the heart will be responding to something in the future before the future is known. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's a small statistical effect. People like Dr. Daryl Bem, uh, formerly of Cornell, he was—he's probably gotten the most notoriety for this effect because it's so controversial that someone like him would be studying this right. and would be publishing journal articles about it. Uh, but also, Dr. Julia Mossbridge has has led a number of meta-analyses combining the data, which mm. suggests that there is an effect. Okay. And what about psychokinesis? What did you find? What did your research show about psychokinesis? There seems to be at least a small-scale effect, and there are some anecdotal cases where there's a a larger effect of mind-affecting matter. Uh, But the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab and others have looked at machines that are called random number generators. So these are computers that will spit out zeros and ones in a totally random fashion. Mm -hmm. Um, So over time, when you look at the string of these numbers, you end up with 50% ones, 50% zeros, because it's random. Mm -hmm. In the studies, the... the, uh, the people who are participating are asked at a distance to mentally try to influence the machines. Mm-hmm. So they tell the person, and this might just be an everyday person who doesn't claim to have abilities, mm-hmm. I would love for you to try to uh, make the machine produce more ones and zeros. 
And oh. when that happens, the statistical results suggest that the machine does behave very slightly differently. But you have to use statistics to see that it's not 50-50 anymore, that it's slightly more ones and zeros. Right, right. So, you know, I, I, you haven't had a chance to sit in on it, but one of the things that I do is I do a uh, spoon-bending workshop. And in the spoon-bending workshop, it actually comes from, the, a lot of the information comes from uh, Gene Eng, who studied uh, at Princeton, and he, he was involved with the pair. And, and so my, my friend who, who actually worked directly with him and we developed it, one of the stories that we tell is that one of the research things they did is they'd bring in a bunch of graduate students into a, a room and there would be this machine in the front of the room that looked like an oscilloscope, which was basically like this round screen with a green line of, uh, you know, made of, of light, you know, going across it. And the instructor would ask the students who said okay let's with our intention let's make the line go up and it's like close your eyes think a line go up oh go up go up and then they'd open their eyes and they'd look at the device you know what would happen with the device i'm guessing that it would shift right but in which direction is the thing that gets everybody. It didn't go up. Yeah, went, I'm, I'm, I assume there's a trick. <laughs> it, it didn't go up. It went what down. And so then he had him, okay, let's try it again. Close your eyes. Think, go down, go down, go down. They'd open their eyes. They'd look at the machine. The line went up, not down. So it would consistently do the opposite of what people's intentions were. Then he said, okay, now I want you to set your intention. Line go up. And then I want you to turn to your neighbor, tell them what you had for lunch yesterday, talk about your favorite vacation, distract yourself. And so they would set their intention line, go up, go up, go up. Then they turn to each other. They start talking, talking, talking. And in the middle of them talking to each other, he would like get their attention and have them look at the screen up front and the line would actually go up. And the point being that as long as we focused on our intention, that it actually didn't allow the space for what the intention was to actually affect things in the way we wanted to affect it. But once you distracted yourself and you let go of the attachment to it and almost forgot about it, that then the intention would actually manifest. So that, that lines up with some of the research that I saw as well. And I'm thinking of a quote from Brenda Dunn, who co-ran the lab at Princeton, who said that she found a pattern in people who were trying to affect the random number generator machines, mm-hmm. where at first they would do, they would perform well, and then they would start overthinking it, and they would uh, actively try to affect the machines a bit more rather than relax, right. and the performance would go down. Right. So it seems like when there is this kind of relaxation where you're you are allowing it to happen rather than trying to force it, there is heightened performance. Mm, yes, absolutely. All right, we just got a couple of minutes before break. We have a question on the Facebook Live. Ingvar asks, what is the true self from the perspective of consciousness? Ooh, getting deep, Ingvar. <laughs> well, hello, Ingvar. Ingvar is a very a brilliant person in the consciousness area. Mm. Um, the way I view the true self is, is that which perceives and experiences the life of the body. Mm. So this is kind of where the, the research has taken me, is, is implications about identity and how we think of our own selves. Um, So I view the self as being the experiencer of of the physical universe through a a diversity of physical forms. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I take a more sort of spiritual approach. And to me, the true self is that which transcends time and space and is the thread, the, the, the continuous thread that runs through um, all of the different manifestations of our life. Yes, I, I agree with that perspective. There's an analogy that I like to use, um, again, from Dr. Bernardo Castro, who says, to imagine that all of reality is like a stream of water, where water represents uh, the, the fundamental consciousness that's beyond all space and time, each of us is like a whirlpool within that stream. So we have these like seeming delineations where we have the experience of the life of Mark and the life of Sam that mm. feel like they're separate, mm. but fundamentally we're connected as part of this underlying consciousness or awareness. Mm. And that's kind of that's a I think a, a human way of looking at um, the picture of reality that I think is most likely to be real. Mm. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, uh, time for us to take, believe it or not, our last break. When we come back, I want to run through NDEs, miniumship, and children with, with past life memories really quickly because then I want to talk about what is the implication for this in our normal day-to-day lives, okay? Sounds good. Awesome, Mark. Okay, so everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're speaking with Mark Gober, author of the brand new book, An End to Upside-Down Thinking. And we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. Uh, so, Mark, let's run through them real quick. Um, near-death experiences. I'm going to have Dr. Raymond Moody on my show in a few weeks. I'm looking forward to that. Tell us about near-death experiences really quick. That'll be terrific. So, near-death experiences is a, a period of heightened lucidity that happens when, it's ha- when the brain is either uh, barely functional or it's fully off. And so this is suggesting that consciousness seems to exist when the brain is not functional. 
And I'll just quickly reference, I think, what are some of the most compelling studies, which are cardiac arrest studies, where these are people who are in extreme physiological trauma, the heart has stopped, and yet a percentage of them come back and are reporting um, these lucid memories. In fact, uh, Dr. Tim Van Lommel, who's a cardiologist and studied near-death experiences, he had a study that was published by the Lancet Journal, a a prominent peer-reviewed medical journal that looked at these cardiac arrest cases where we would expect that there should be no brain functioning. And yet 18% of people who had cardiac arrest and were resuscitated reported a near-death experience. Mm. Um, The most compelling cases, I think, are the ones where people report being out of their body and are accurately describing things in the room that happened during this time that they shouldn't have had brain functioning, which is suggesting that some kind of a non-hallucinatory memory is being created when the brain is off. Mm. And there's uh, some similarities between these different near-death experiences. Absolutely. And that's what Dr. Raymond Moody and others have chronicled, is that maybe not every single person reports the the exact same thing, but there's kind of a there, there are specific. There are features that are often reported, like people hover over their bodies mm-hmm. in an out-of-body experience. They talk mm-hmm. about unconditional love. They feel unconditional love. Right. They might see deceased loved ones or mystical beings. Mm-hmm. They have a life review where they mm-hmm. are reviewing the events of their life and judging themselves for how they treated people. Right. And then typically there is a coming back into the body. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- this is reported across cultures. It's been reported throughout the ages. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing it in more and more cases because resuscitation technology has gotten so much stronger. Right. Why do you think it's only 18%? It's a really good question. I, I don't think we understand the mechanisms of it. Um, what I do think is that if, if, if consciousness were solely a product of the brain, we would expect 0% of these cases to, to have um, right. near-death experience. Right, right. So this is it's a really good question, Sam. We have to understand what is the brain's relationship to consciousness, because there is some relationship. And why is it in some cases people are able to recall the experience, whereas maybe in other cases the experience happened, but maybe the memory's not there, or maybe the experience didn't happen. I don't think we know. Okay, mediumship, real quick. Mediumship. Uh, I think the strongest examples are from the Winbridge Research Center. Mm -hmm. They've published two peer-reviewed journal papers. Um, on mediums who are in double uh, quintuple blind conditions, so five mm-hmm. levels of blinding. The medium claiming to be able to communicate with the deceased is on the phone, mm-hmm. speaking with the experimenter, and is just given the first name of the mm-hmm. deceased person and is able to bring back non-chance information. Mm. Um, it, uh, have you ever seen or watched John Edwards? I have come across his work. See, I, I know people who actually know him personally and have studied with him, and he's really fascinating, and I, love, I used to love watching him. I haven't watched his show for a long time. But the way the information comes to him, he's like, I'm seeing this. I, I see a guy in a cashmere coat with a hat, and then someone says, hmm, that sounds like my uncle, my father. He goes, okay, I'm seeing a J, a G. He's like, oh, his name was George. you know. And then he starts like picking up these little threads and images that, like, just totally blows people away because it's extremely accurate, but the way it comes to him is through like this very interesting imagery. So I always found that very fascinating. Okay, uh, last yeah. one. Uh, children with memories of past lives. This one totally fascinates me. Yeah, and this is uh, research that's been done at the University of Virginia, among other places. But for the last 50 years at UVA, they have collected over 2,500 cases 
of children who are usually between the ages of two and five years old, so very young kids, are describing distinct memories of a previous life, of a life of another person. Mm. In the strongest cases, researchers are able to find historical records that match what the, ch- the children are describing. And wow. in some cases, uh, the children actually have birthmarks or physical deformities that match the described death in the previous life. Really? Wow. That part I didn't know. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay, real quick, I just want to read this comment from Patty on the Facebook Live. My uncle died on Saturday, and he, and he came to me in a dream the day prior. I said goodbye, but he wanted me to tell my brother to look for a ring he wore. He's in Washington. I'm in Arizona. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I've heard cases like this, and... To me, these are just all examples that consciousness is not localized to the individual brain, that there is an interconnectivity that somehow becomes exposed in, in alternative states of consciousness, or um, I just don't think we understand how it all works. But that instances like that, which are they're known as veridical mm-hmm. uh, after-death communications, where there's something that's verified as being accurate, and it's occurring around the death experience of somebody. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there, there, there's so many cases of things like this. I've had friends tell me about visions they had of people they were close to that came to them in the middle of the night, right when they died. It, it's just incredible, some of the stuff. Once you open up and look into this, it, 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 there's such a wealth of anecdotal stories and things that happen. So the question is now, Mark, what does this mean for us in our day-to-day lives? What does this mean? What are the implications of this for how we live our lives and the choices and decisions that we make? Well, for me, one of the biggest shifts has been a, a recontextual, recontextualization of identity, where I used to think mm. that my identity was my body that spawned a consciousness, and when the body stopped functioning, the consciousness would go away. Whereas now, I think it's really the reverse that my identity is tied to my consciousness, and my consciousness and identity are that which experience the body. Mm. So that, I think, can be a, a pretty profound shift for someone who's been in a materialist worldview to think about who they are differently. Right, right. And, and I believe, actually, the implications go much, much deeper because if all this is true, that means really everything is consciousness or energy first and then physical manifestation. And if it's consciousness or energy first, that means that sort of the fundamental underpinnings is the energy behind things. Energy does not know the bounds of space and time. We really, the, 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 what mystics have been saying for centuries of how we're all, everything is all interconnected and, and uh, you know, how there's the, the, the world of physicality how the real world is actually much deeper, much more than that, like that totally shifts sort of our perspective of, hey, look, you, you may be a separate manifestation, but we are both part of a greater whole energetically. I mean, even physically, you can say that, but energetically, you know, we're not separate. We're not so distinct. You know, you are my brother and sister's. Uh, this idea of, of these things that we use to separate each other, of religion, race, ethnicity, orientation, things like that, they really are made up things in a way that 
it, when we get past them, we really are all one, aren't we? I agree with you. And to quote Erwin Schrodinger, the famous Nobel Prize winning physicist, he says, in truth, there's only one mind. And the implications of, of that idea of interconnectivity and, and of the lack of separation, to me, it gets to the core of, of many, if not all, of the world's problems today, right. which I think tend to be based on a belief in separation. And if we, if we broke down that belief and, and show that it's not true, then I think harming others becomes truly irrational, because harming right. another is, in a sense, in the deepest sense, harming one's own so, self. self. Exactly, exactly. Uh, uh, Massimo says, when my grandpa died and all the family was there, I could not go because I lived with him some years and I just could not see him go. He said to my family he was seeing me at the feet of his bed. Hmm. Hmm. They said, yeah. they said yes, Massimo is here. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, th- th- this, um, this sort of division of... of of physical reality and non-physical reality is really we're finding more and more is, is much more fluid than we thought and and indeed i've found over the last i don't know a couple of decades that there are more and more stories of incredible things happening um oh you know we didn't really get into psychokinesis well we did a little bit but like i've i've heard of stories of friends who who have friends with children who at five years old were levitating off the bed or were moving things with their minds. And, and actually the parents' main fear was they didn't want to put them in school because they didn't want you know, the wrong government agency to find out and take them away or something. Um, but that there are more and more children being born that are sort of manifesting these extraordinary abilities these days. Have, have you found that yourself? I have heard of stories like that, and I've heard... Um, that even some governments might be harnessing the abilities of, of children with these extraordinary abilities. Um, it, it's not something I explored in the book because I tried to keep the book tied to what was most empirically shown. Uh, right. But there, there seems to be something about children that where maybe they don't have the same blocks right. in their brain or right. they're, they're more open. And I, I do remember some studies which compared the brains of children to the brains of those who are on psychedelics. Yes. Both of which seem to have kind of this open, dreamlike state of being. Right, right, right. And actually, I, uh, we don't have time, but that was a whole area that I did want to ask you about was this, this, this sort of resurgence in psychedelics and the study of psychedelics in terms of consciousness and everything. But Mark Ober, the name of the book is An End to Upside-Down Thinking. Where can people get the book, Mark? The book's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and many other bookstores. Awesome. So one last question. I'm just curious. Since the book came out, have you had like more and more people come to you with like these bizarre uh, stories of things that have happened to them that are unexplainable in, technically? Yes. Yes, I get emails <laughs> from people. And, and ever since I got into the research more generally, I've noticed that people open up. Even people who have had kind of traditional lives, they'll say, well, I had this one experience 10 years ago where some, mm, so-and-so happened. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I have found that the people when they hear that I'm interested in these topics, they, they tend to open up. Jill on the Facebook Live wants me to have you back on the show again, so I have to work that out. Are you going to be in San Diego at the end of the month at the EBC event? I will not. Ah, oh, I'm going to miss you, brother. Make it, unfortunately. I'm going to miss you. Okay, well, unfortunately, we're, we're over time. Mark, I really appreciate you. I love it. Last question. Uh, anything in the works for the future? Another book in the works? 
been asked that a lot. I'm, I'm currently working on a podcast in which I have ah. recorded interviews already with nearly 50 scientists, including Dr. Moody, and I'm working with producers to get it out in a way that the, the general mainstream public can absorb it. Awesome. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, listen, Mark, you have a great day. Thank you so much for, for calling in. I have a great interview. Go pick up his book, An End to Upside Down Thinking. If you guys uh, believe in this stuff and you have friends who don't, have, get this book, have them read it, and then have a conversation. Thank you, Mark. Take care. All righty. Thank you so much, Sam. You're have welcome. You're welcome. And every thank you, my loyal fans and listeners. I appreciate it. Please let me know you like the shows like this. Uh, keep it coming. I will be back next week. Ooh, um, who's my guest next week? I don't know, but I have an amazing guest next week. So make sure you tune in next Thursday, 12 noon Eastern, uh, right here on talkradio.nyc or on Facebook Live. Take care, y'all. We will talk to you next week. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Do you like comic books and movies? How about TV and pop culture? Then you've come to the right place. Hi, I'm Michael Dolce, host of Secrets of the Sire. Joined every week by my co-host, Hassan, Lord of the Radio Godwin. Together, we have over 15 years' experience creating graphic novels, screenplays, and more. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern, talkradio.nyc. The best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.